0: Yoga Focus podcast. My name is Laura Gellner and I am a yoga therapist and occupational therapist based in New Jersey. I created the Yoga Focus podcast as a way to talk about the tools and techniques of yoga and to see how we can use those techniques to create a greater sense of focus and clarity within our life. Hey everyone, welcome to the Yoga Focus Podcast. During this episode we're going to be talking about the hands and really the connection between the hands and the whole upper extremity. The wrist, elbow, shoulder, shoulder blade, upper back. It's all very connected in terms of how one joint affects the next joint down the chain and how the strength of one area or the stability of one area is going to affect all the way down the rest of that chain. And with the feet, when I was talking about how we can integrate different ways to work on the feet, I mentioned that the feet are kind of the part of the body that's structured to be the foundation. We're made to stand, to walk, to run, the feet are made to support our body weight and they're made quite well for that. The hands on the other hand are um, designed more for dexterity and object manipulation. They are not specifically designed as a really strong weight bearing structure the way that the feet and the legs are. So. Where this becomes an interesting topic, or a possible source of problems, is when we use the hands as the foundation, and we do that very frequently in yoga. It is one of the things that makes yoga as a movement system rather unique. The fact that we do so much weight bearing on our hands and on our upper body. And it's not to say that that's a bad thing, I actually think it's a really good thing that we use our arms in that way because if you think about the things that you do during your normal day most of the time we don't put any weight on our arms you might push yourself to stand up from a chair or um, lean on something but it's really very seldom in the course of a regular day that you would use your arms for weight bearing maybe if you were doing something on the floor like playing with a baby and then you went to stand up you would push with your arm to get yourself up away from the floor, but outside of the context of doing a specific movement practice like yoga or exercises like push-ups or something like that, most of us don't get a lot of weight-bearing through the arms in just day-to-day life. Where that starts to become the root of an issue for some people is when you jump into a yoga class. And you've heard that yoga is this great movement practice that it's very gentle that it heals injuries and all sorts of things like that right that is the kind of information that's out there to the general public and you'll even have doctors sometimes who will say oh you have this condition I think you should try yoga Um, which is really like saying to somebody oh you're hungry you need food you should eat food (laughs) like it's that broad that you could eat something that's really good for you or you could eat something that's really bad for you the same thing happens with yoga there's such a huge spectrum just within the physical practice that you could walk into a class that is a restorative or a yin class where you're relatively still there's not a lot of strain or movement on the body all the way up to a hot power vinyasa class where you are moving every second of that class and doing really advanced movements that a normal person's body would not be conditioned to jump right into if they haven't been doing yoga for a considerable amount of time. This is where, like I said, we kind of get into a sticky situation because people will come into yoga um, maybe haven't been exercising maybe their physical body is not in the best condition maybe have a desk job or spend a lot of time driving so there's already this hunched posture to the upper body the upper back is weak and stretched out the chest muscles are tight the head is forward and there's not a lot of strength down the chain of the arm so we take that person and they walk into an open yoga class and depending on that class there might be chaturangas there might be extended holds in downward facing dog there might be a lot of front planks or side planks and these are relatively strenuous movements for the upper body and if you haven't put in months or sometimes years of work to condition the upper extremity to be good at weight-bearing, to have enough stability to support the weight of the body, that can start to lead you down the path of injury. It's one of the reasons why shoulder injuries are rather prevalent in the yoga community, why wrist pain is another thing that is quite prevalent in the yoga community. These are two of the joints that will take a lot of the strain. If we haven't put in the foundation prep work to make the body the upper body ready for weight-bearing so if we look at the anatomy of the upper extremity it mirrors the lower extremity which I always thought was so neat there's a ball and socket joint there's a hinge joint there's this rather unusual joint with a bunch of small bones just like our ankle a bunch of those tarsal bones In the wrist, we have a whole bunch of carpal bones. And then we have the long bones in the hand, just like the long bones in the foot, and then the phalanges. And the anatomy teachers were kind to us because we get to call both fingers and toes phalanges. But there's some little differences between the upper extremity and the lower extremity based on the structure dictating the function that it's good at the lower body is more stable we still have a pretty good range of motion at our hips if your hips are healthy Um, you still have a pretty good range of motion there at that ball and socket joint but it's still not as much as the shoulder because the shoulder is made for us to be able to do these big long reaches to grab things that are far away from us and to throw things, we need a lot of range of motion in our arms. When you have a huge range of available motion at a joint, it's usually sacrificing a bit of stability, at least within the joint structure. If you look at the structure of the shoulder, the glenoid fossa, which is the socket for the shoulder joint that is on the shoulder blade, it's really quite shallow. So, that shallowness of the joint means that the humerus can move in a huge range of motion, which gives us a great advantage to reach and grab and throw, but it's not as stable as our hip joint, where our hip joint is this ball and socket joint that's a bit deeper. There's a little bit more bone-on-bone um, contact in between there to create more stability to transfer force more effectively, and our shoulder doesn't have that. So. Does it mean that we shouldn't bear weight on our arms? No, it means that we have to put more prep work in before it's safe for us to bear weight on our arms without getting a repetitive strain injury. I know for me when I first started practicing yoga when I was in college, within I guess the first maybe two to three years of practicing, I started to have quite significant pain in my wrist, where it got to the point I couldn't do up dog and I couldn't really hold down dog very long, I definitely couldn't do handstands, those were out of the question. And I was really thinking about giving up my yoga practice altogether because I couldn't get rid of this wrist pain. And now looking back at it, I know I was in college and I had a pretty heavy workload, I was doing a lot of studying, a lot of hunching over a desk, a lot of typing. And I was not doing a really consistent strength training program or really any other exercise outside of yoga. That was kind of the time in my life where I jumped really heavy into yoga. I think once in a while in college I would go and do some weights. but. Historically, I know that I tend to do more lower body strengthening because my lower body is stronger and I enjoy doing that more. My upper body has always been a little bit weaker so I would avoid that because I didn't like doing it as much. It didn't feel as um, accomplished when I would do upper body work because I couldn't lift heavy weights or do a lot of those exercises very well. Little did I know at that point, that that was really what I needed my upper body was super weak and I had thrown myself into a practice that was demanding a lot from my upper body we were doing a lot of arm balancing and planks and a lot of chaturangas and up dog was one of the ones that really bothered my wrist so it was a little bit of my alignment I was shifting too far forward into up dog but it was also the combination of being very sedentary outside of yoga as a college student and then hitting yoga really hard especially on the weekends when I wasn't in school putting a lot of weight onto my arm. so that was the first part of figuring out why I was having so much wrist pain um, I also ended up changing to a different mat I upgraded to I had like a very cheap plastic mat that I had gotten I don't know anywhere (laughs) and um, I upgraded to a nice mat because I knew I was gonna do teacher training so I was like if I'm not going to quit yoga that was when I decided to become a teacher and figure out what was going on and that was when I ended up getting a nicer rubber mat that had better grip and I felt more stable with that I think that helped a bit with my wrist but I also started to modify a lot of poses at that point because I couldn't do the full transitional vinyasa without having pain. So fast forward a few years later when I was done with school and I was working as a therapist and one of my first jobs I worked at an inpatient therapy clinic which involved a lot of lifting people because the people that I was working with were post-surgical, or very deconditioned, they were elderly and most of the time they needed help either standing up or getting out of bed. They needed a lot of physical assistance from me so I spent quite a bit of my time picking people up, holding people, doing transfers and pushing wheelchairs. Lots of time pushing people to and from the therapy gym in wheelchairs and we had this ramp that went in between the floor where the patients were at and the therapy room and I had to go up and down that ramp at least like eight to ten times a day, sometimes more, pushing a person in a wheelchair. So um, a significant amount of weight. And on top of that, since I was working a lot, those first few years that I was working, I worked a ton, um, more than I should have been working. So I was not working out besides doing my yoga practice occasionally, not a really consistent practice what happened was I I was doing an arm balance one day and I kind of fell out of that arm balance and the next day I woke up and my shoulder just wasn't right. So at first I was in 100% denial that that injury had anything to do with yoga. Uh, It took me quite a few years for me to actually realize that it was like the combination of not working out enough, not stabilizing my shoulder the strain of my job of lifting people which were was usually like quite a bit of dead weight when I was trying to hold somebody up plus pushing wheelchairs pushing and pulling are two movements that can strain the rotator cuff if you don't have an adequate amount of strength or shoulder stability which I did definitely did not have at that point so that ended up causing this whole cascade effect in my practice that I couldn't even do downward facing dog for like I will say at least six maybe eight months I couldn't do down dog and I couldn't even do child's pose with my arms straight out to the front of the mat wouldn't happen so I ended up um, going to an orthopedic doctor I was diagnosed with a shoulder impingement of my rotator cuff I had a calcium deposit at that point which meant that That was not just a a one-time injury at that point. It was something that had been cumulative. It was something that was being rubbed and pressed for quite a long period of time, and that ended up causing that calcium deposit. My body was trying to protect the tendon of my rotator cuff, which ended up causing more pain down the arm. So I went to physical therapy I was a little bit cranky about that because I was working as a therapist during the day and I would have to get up super early and go to therapy in the morning before I went to work. So it was like an extra extra time in a therapy clinic, which at that point I didn't really want. But fast forwarding in the story, that ended up getting me a job at that clinic later on down the line, but at that time i went through the therapy i did a full rotator cuff strengthening program and ended up kind of getting to a point where i was sort of managing my shoulder but still had to do a pretty modified practice i was never able to go back to that strong vinyasa practice with lots and lots of weight bearing in the arms lots of chaturangas um it wasn't until several years later i would say right now within the past like two to three years that I got back into weight training more consistently doing a lot of pulling movements like pull up kind of movements I can't do a full pull up yet but creating some strength around my shoulder blades around my upper back doing a very specific rotator cuff strengthening program on a regular basis and now I know that when I do weight training in addition to My yoga practice that's when my body feels the best overall but especially wrist hand shoulder it's really essential if I start to slack on my weight training program and going to the gym I will within a couple of weeks start to notice aches and pains creeping back in and then I'll feel like I won't be able to hold certain poses for as long, or maybe even like downward facing dog, my shoulder will start to hurt again. So that's my body giving me the reminder that I have to create strength in the upper body if I want to be able to do all of these poses that I really enjoy doing in yoga. So I think the the take home message here is that the upper body is not necessarily structured perfectly to be a weight bearing structure but it can be really good at weight-bearing as long as we do the prep work and that takes patience for sure because it's something that has to be built up over a longer period of time and it's also going to be something that has a little bit of individual variation from person to person right so um i know patrick has really strong arms he can just like do a handstand because that's what he can do even if he hasn't been practicing it, I would have to work for three years if I wanted to be able to do a handstand. It's just different body structures because he has a lot more upper body strength than I do naturally. So that's something to take into consideration with your students. Some people are going to need a lot more prep work to make the upper body safe for weight-bearing than other students. So let's talk a little bit more specifically about the hand because the hand is the point of contact most often with the mat the hand is taking the weight from the upper body sometimes all of the weight if you're going to something like a um, handstand practice but from a biomechanical standpoint the hand is the most complex part of the body in terms of the movements that it can do and the dexterity think about like being able to sew, and being able to do handwriting, very, very precise movements. And the reason that we're able to do those precise movements is because we have 27 bones that make up this little, tiny area, so these bones are not big, 29 different joints, points of contact between the bones, over 123 ligaments, so there's all these different stabilizing structures that link the bone to the bone and 34 different muscles that are creating the movement within the hand that incredible level of dexterity For a lot of us There's quite a bit of tension in the arm that we don't even think about so I've been working for probably going on five years as a massage therapist And I'm always amazed like everybody neck and back neck and back. Where do you want extra work on my neck on my back? but More and more frequently now when I get down the arm and I start working on the forearm and the hand a lot of times I get people like oh I had no idea there was so much Tension in my forearm and in my hand so I go through the oh well do you spend a lot of time typing? Are you on your phone a lot? Do you drive a lot? Those are very common things where our hands have constant tension, constant effort, that can create that chronic tightness in the forearm, in the muscles of the hand, in the thenar muscles, the muscles at the base of the thumb, that little bump on the hand. Those muscles are almost always tight. They really take a beating with our phones because everything is structured with our phone be able to swipe and type while reaching with your thumb, but then it ends up just being an excessive amount of movement with your thumb. So I think going into the future as a therapist we're going to be seeing more and more thumb repetitive strain injuries and hand and elbow issues because we do so much work with the hands, but of course yoga being this practice where we are trying to create awareness of our body and an awareness of what we need to do to take care of ourselves I think working some awareness of the hands into the practice is really critical so I want you to think about how much time we dedicate to talking about like hips and hamstrings or the back in yoga they're important parts of the body for sure but like hamstrings, hamstrings, hamstrings. We're always talking about hamstrings. Um, And one of the things that I find super interesting that I, I will talk about with my students when I do the anatomy teacher training, the anatomy portion of the yoga teacher training at our studio, is this concept or this picture called the homunculus. And the homunculus is like a a depiction of how much space in the cortex that part of the brain that communicates with the body how much space in the cortex is actually dedicated to each part of the body and it looks like a little monster with gigantic hands gigantic face and a little tiny body so the concept behind this is that the brain doesn't need a ton of real estate to control bending the knee and straightening the knee, or bending the elbow and straightening the elbow. It's a relatively straightforward contract and relax of the two different muscle groups. But when it comes to the hands with all of these little joints and lots and lots of sensory feedback, we need a bigger portion of the brain to process the sensory information that we take in from the hands, and we need a bigger part of the brain in the motor cortex to control these very precise movements of the hand. So both sides, the sensory cortex and the motor cortex, have a huge amount of space dedicated to the hand, more space than any other part in the body. The runner-up is the face and the mouth because we have to be able to speak and speaking is a very precise movement as well. So it's an interesting thing to think about that in our brain there's this huge amount of space dedicated to the hands but within our practice i feel like we hardly ever talk about the hands it's like we might do a mudra once in a while very basic and that's kind of all the attention that the hand usually gets but the hamstrings we will talk about the hamstrings to no end (laughs) So I think there needs to be just a little bit of a shift to give more attention to the hands, especially given how important they are in our ability to function during the day, how much it corresponds with what's going on in our brain, and how many injuries people end up with in their wrists and anywhere in that upper chain because of their yoga practice, because of not being adequately prepared for the movements or the requirements of their yoga practice. So some of the things that I like to do to work on that, one is just starting the class with a little bit of self massage like squeezing through the muscles from the shoulder all the way down the arm just to give yourself a sense of within your own body where do you feel tension when you're squeezing. And This doesn't take any sort of formal training it's really just exploring okay it feels a little bit tight there that area feels okay get into the thumb and there's all sorts of interesting things happening in there and it just gives you a better sense of what you're doing during the day and that residue or that impact that it has on you after you have finished doing those things what kind of tension is still hanging out in the body one of the other things that I really like to do is this mantra meditation the sa-ta-na-ma for each of those sounds the thumb taps one of the fingers so it becomes a sound and a chant but also this very precise slow concentrated fine motor movement with the hands which i find to be very effective at increasing your focus and your concentration, of just pulling your attention into that moment to really feel what comes together from using the chant and doing the movement, getting your breath involved in that. It's a, a lot of things going together to make that happen. Of course sometimes I like to do just basic stretching, wrist stretching, red stretching, Um, wrist stretching both ways and things like that but I think what we actually need more of is strengthening and this is where you have to be really careful in yoga because I see a lot of things out there that say for wrist pain or to strengthen your wrists and it's actually just stretching it's like a ton of pushing your hands into the mat really hard each way very aggressive stretching for the wrists which most of the time is not what you need if you have pain or tension in the wrist or in the forearm or in the hand most of the time it's actually your body telling you that it needs strength and there's really not a ton of stuff that we can do with the yoga mat like on the floor there's a couple things one being what I call the heel lift so what you would think of the heel of the hand when you put that onto the mat and your weight bearing into it you would lift just the heel of your hand off of the mat and then place it down. It works really well in table as a way to wake up the wrist and the finger flexors and to build some strength and I like to do that right before you transition from table up into downward facing dog because down dog is one of those places where I think people tend to dump into their wrists. If their arms aren't strong enough to hold the body, there's a lot of pressure going into the wrist and doing that little heel lift just before you go into down dog can create this sense of lightness and lift that you're not dumping into the wrist. So that combination is helpful. I also like to do some little breath related movements in child's pose. So you have your students in child's pose, Their hands are out in front on the mat and you can inhale, lift the fingers up to the ceiling, exhale, let the palm come back onto the mat. It's like the tiniest vinyasa just for your wrist and it will wake up those wrist extensors because you're actively lifting against gravity. It's not a tremendously strengthening movement, but it is something to help build a better mind to muscle connection for those forearm muscles that actually create the wrist movement. If you want to go a little bit more precise with that, you can do one breath for each finger. So I would inhale, lift the thumb off the mat, exhale, place it down, inhale, index finger up, exhale, place it down, inhale, middle finger, exhale down, inhale, ring finger, that's the hard one, Exhale that down and last one is the pinky inhale it up and exhale it down You could do that on one hand and then the other hand or you could do Both hands at the same time. So we're getting a bit of strengthening for the finger extensors and is creating that mind to muscle connection with the hand The only thing that actually helped me to get rid of tennis elbow was doing eccentric loading. So I twist the bar, I put my arms out and then very slowly release that tension. So it was creating more control in my wrist extensors. And that was how I eventually got rid of tennis elbow. And that's something that I have to do continuously because I work with my hands so much at my day job. Um, I always have to keep strengthening those muscles because if I don't keep the strength up and I try to do that work it ends up turning into strain because I haven't done the prep to make my hands capable of doing that level of work so the flex bar is great I think everybody who does yoga and wants to make sure that their wrists are strong and that they're prepped for like arm balances and handstands or even just downward facing dog I think that the flex bar is something that you should have I usually either take it with me when I go to work out and I'll do it in between other things as like a rest period or um, I'll leave it next to my couch and I'll just play with it a little bit at the end of the day or I have one at work so I'll do it at lunch if I have a couple minutes. The second thing that if you really want to build up strength in the hands and this is not a yoga related thing but it's a therapy related thing is hand putty and if you go online you can look up hand therapy putty it comes in different colors just like the flex bar the different colors show different levels of resistance and you just play with the putty you squeeze it you move it around in different directions I'm gonna go get mine so you can see it okay so here's if you're watching the video here's the therapy putty and I have purple right now the purple is It says extra firm, but I've seen much firmer putty. So it's probably like a medium level and this is something that you can do a ton of different hand exercises with, but a lot of times I just keep it next to my couch and if we're watching a movie or watching TV, I will just play with it and squeeze it. Do some pressing with my thumb to keep the thenar muscles strong. You can do some pulling, which is really important to keep your wrist extensors strong. Those are the ones on the back of the forearm that are usually weaker than the muscles that close the hand than the flexors. So just doing that or pulling from one hand to the next, playing around with it for a couple minutes every day will keep the muscles that are inside your hand really strong and it also works on the muscles in the forearm which are the muscles that really create the power in our hand so that's hand putty and this is the flex bar i have red but um i feel like i could probably do a stronger one now because i've had red for a little while not you i'll keep this red so the exercise that i do is i pull toward wrist extension I press my arms out and then I very slowly move toward wrist flexion. So it's an eccentric loading. It's loading my wrist extensors as they slowly lengthen. And research shows that that is the most effective exercise at getting rid of tennis elbow pain. And I found that to be 100% true. So, those two things I think are really important, like cross training tools for the hands. There's a couple things that you can do with the things that we have within a yoga practice. Um, If you have a towel, you can do some twisting type movements holding a towel, or you can take the end of your yoga blanket, roll that up, do some squeezing, do some twisting, do some side to side movements with the wrist. You can use your yoga blanket as a prop to move the hands in a few different directions to give a little bit of resistance. That's what we're looking for is some resistance to build up strength in the four sides of the wrist, the top of the wrist, bottom of the wrist, but also the sides to create more stability. So when we work on the hand like that, when you're placing your hand onto the mat, I call it kind of a a dead fish hand where you take your hand and you just like slap it onto the mat and then you put your body weight on top of that and your poor hand is just like being squished. There's a much more dynamic way to let your hand interact with the mat or um, a lot of times I'll practice this at the wall because it's easier on the wall when you don't have your full body weight on the hand. You get a little bit more playing room. So what it looks like is a little bit of grip with your fingertips and I say a little bit because I don't want you like white knuckling and squeezing the mat for dear life. I just want a little bit of bend at the fingertips so that the muscles in the hand and in the forearm, there goes Redford, are active when you're actually (laughs) bearing weight in the arm. If you look at, people who are in handstands and crow a lot of times you'll see this really well in crow, you'll notice that people who have been practicing those arm balances for a really long time they don't have the dead fish hand, they didn't just slap their hand onto the mat there's this very dynamic relationship between the hand the fingers and the mat so it's using all of the intrinsic hand muscles, the muscles that are inside the long bones or in between the long bones of the hand the forearm muscles everything is really strong all the way up the chain all the way up to the shoulder blade and the upper back everything is involved in supporting the body weight and the hand is such an important part of that so beyond that little bit of grip with the fingers there's another hand position that I like to use that helps with the arches of the hand it reinforces the arches of the hand when <clears throat> when we were talking about the foot when we were talking about the foot doing movements that are reinforcing to the arch of the foot the arch being something that creates strength in our foot the hand is the same thing we don't want the hand to be totally flat the arches of the hand make it easier for us to hold on to things it gives us more strength I like to think of the hand like a frog. If you've ever seen a frog's hand on glass they have little suction cups on their fingers and then it's kind of this um, suction cup in the palm. And That's what I think of when the hand is on the mat. The fingers are creating a dynamic relationship into the mat. The palm of the hand is lifted slightly so there's that suction cupping kind of uh, enhancing the arch of the hand. The other movement that I like to do I call it either a tented hand or a spider hand which is not so much a position that I use for weight bearing it's more in child's pose when the arm is out toward the front of the mat instead of the hand sitting flat you lift the palm up and it's just the fingertips on the mat you have this very strong lift up through the arch of the hand The other way that I like to work on the arches of the hand is with this lotus mudra and I'll often do a vinyasa where we inhale and open up, exhale and close the fingers into prayer. But it's just opening, keeping the heels of the hands together, opening the fingers, pinky to pinky, thumb to thumb, all of the other fingers are opening really wide and you get this great arch in the center of the palm also a good way to add in some extra attention to the hands in your practice. Anytime you come through mountain pose, anytime you're holding a lunge, you can add in a few of those opening the hand into that lotus shape. So, I hope that's given you a better understanding of why we get repetitive strain injuries in the upper body so frequently in yoga how you can make sure that you don't get that, that your students don't get that, that we're building up the foundational strength that we need for the whole chain to function properly and to have the patience to let that process happen because it can take quite a bit of time. And it might mean modifying poses when you're in your yoga practice until your body really has that necessary level of preparation in place to go and do those, those movements or those poses. And it is definitely worth the patience because it's way better than getting a shoulder injury. It's taken me years, and I'm still really in the process of trying to figure out how to take good care of that shoulder so that I can do these poses without pain and without strain. So do everything that you can to make your body resilient rather than going into that place of having to recover after you injure yourself. It's much easier to prevent. So see how you can find some extra ways to give the hands some more attention and to help your students to understand how important it is to create real strength around the wrist, the hand, and the forearm. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode of the yoga focus podcast if you'd like to leave me a comment or a question you can go over to my youtube channel at Laura G Yoga and leave a comment under the video format of the podcast or you can go on to my Instagram which is also at lauragyoga and leave me a question or send me a direct message on there if you want to ask a question for a future podcast topic go over to the Anchor app on your phone and you'll have an option on there to send me a voice message and you might be featured in a future episode. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end of the podcast. I just wanted to talk to you guys about the book that I released in June of 2019 which is called Yoga Therapy at the Wall. I've worked on this book for the past three years to create all of the pictures and all of the information in here. It's 162 pages and it's a full color manual. The chapters are broken down by body parts that we focus on using the wall to help us learn about different movement patterns and how to change some of the yoga postures to have a specific therapeutic focus. And you can really start to understand when you look at the book, why I feel like the wall is the most underutilized prop that we have in yoga. We kind of forget about these things that we have all around us and that we almost always have access to a wall to utilize in the practice. So, This manual will give you a ton of ideas to expand and start to utilize the wall as a prop. If you're interested in ordering, you can get the printed version on lulu.com. You can either take the link in the show notes or you can go on Lulu and look up yoga therapy at the wall. There's also a digital download option, but for that you have to go on Etsy. And my Etsy store is Healthy Focus by Laura G. Or you can just search yoga therapy at the wall. Thanks. Hope you enjoy it.